This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. I reached out to folks on Facebook a while ago to get some feedback about what topics to cover, and I got directed to someone who wanted to talk about NATO, the West, and the Global South. We chat about that, but also talk about many topics in this interview, including U.S. media lies, imperialism, Bernie Sanders, feeling pessimistic, and much more. Let's go straight to the interview. On Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. Do you just want to tell us who you are? Yeah, my name is Tanya Singh, and I am an organizer with Minnesota Nurses Association. But my views are not reflective of my uh, employer, right. <laughs> they're purely of my own. Absolutely. And, you know, when we were talking about the interview, you said that we should talk about the role of NATO, the global south, and Western imperialism. And, um, you know, I th- what do you think is most important thing that, you know, people who listen to this should know that maybe, you know, people aren't currently aware of as, as, as how that all plays out. That American media lies. It's oh. all a lie. Okay. And Americans don't actually know the real history. And while we focus on books being um, banned from schools in like Florida, some of the most basic like children's books that I read when I came to America, like those are being banned. But the thing is, even if those weren't banned, there's so much of like American history and world history and global politics and uh, the role America plays on the global playground that Americans just don't have a realization of. And I'll point this out in a second about like, have you watched the show The Boys on like Amazon Prime? I have not. Oh my gosh. Okay. So like if you're into superheroes, it's like superheroes but done right in the sense that more indicative indicative of what America's role in the world really is um it actually points to like the imperialism and it points to you know all the things that the US does but then like claims to claims that you know we're the good guys everywhere right. so and it's funny because Americans are so clueless about like how the world views them and what the truth actually is um that like there were some fans of the show who actually understood that like the guy that they have been admiring in the third season of the show is actually a bad guy. Whereas anybody else who wasn't born in America or is watching the show, you know, who's aware of like the American history and role in, and like, you know, like the global hegemony of like violence and all that stuff. Like if you watch it from the first episode, you know, that's a bad guy. And Americans, like, there were people on Reddit just losing their shit. Oh, my gosh, Homelander's a bad guy. Mm. <laughs> it was, it was right. so funny to me, like, oh, my gosh. Like, the distance between regular Americans and, like, what somebody from the outside actually, how, how we see the world is so vast and it's so different. And that, like, it, it kind of reiterated to me that, like, the truth needs to be out there because people are not going to learn the truth from their media, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, whatever. People are not going to learn the truth in schools because I've been to high school in America and like I was not taught all these 
like things. Right. In fact, I was I was like brainwashed into seeing the America side of things, but I'm like, you're missing this. This is not mentioned. You're missing this. You're missing this. You're missing this. You're missing context to everything. So exactly. yeah, <laughs> that's what I feel like is a big issue. And I'm not sure if people if people were even aware how much say would they have on world events and what their government's doing because 70% of Americans are like on board or like worried about climate change and wants the government to do something. But then the government doesn't do anything regardless. So I just wonder if there's any anybody who can really stop this. So it's kind of like starting off on a very kind of negative note. But I don't know if there's any hope, <laughs> but yeah. Mm, right, yeah. Well, you said you said some of the books that you read when you first came to America. So if you're willing, do you want to share like your background or where you're coming from? Sure. Um, yeah. So I am from India and I moved here when I was 13. Um, and my family is like my grandparents, they were alive and they were children and they were the same age as me when the India and Pakistan partition took place. So I actually have all those like all the all those decades of knowledge they imparted to me because I grew up in a joint family. So my grandparents would tell me how things were when the partition happened, when they left Pakistan and when the British left. So I have family members who actually lived under British occupation, um, colonialism for a few years of their life and then the the devastation it it caused when they just left and drew a border um and so like all those decades of like what india went through i'm sure it's subjective to their experiences but it still gives you context of where you come from and obviously like my dad you know he he was born in India too, and like he was involved in a lot of things. He's a completely different person now after moving to America. American capitalism infected him, mm. uh, but um, uh, but I learned a lot growing up. So I think I didn't have an understanding, like a theoretical or you know theory, uh, like oh this is communism, this is socialism, this is this and that. Mm. I didn't know the isms of things, right. but I did have an understanding that like I care for human beings and people who are poor. And I care about like just and like people who are in power, people who are rich, they tend to be more uh, the ones who cause issues in society. Because if we wanted to resolve a lot of issues uh, that exist around us, it would take those people who have a lot to disperse amongst people who have very little and we would create a better society. But I just didn't know how to contextualize it until like, you know, a few years ago when I got involved with like the Bernie stuff, you know, when Bernie was saying it's. It's social, economic, environmental, and like when he said economic justice, Mm. I actually was like, oh, shit, like a whole circle came around to uh, defining what I care about. It's justice. Right. So, yeah, that's kind of like my background. Yeah, you, um, this is a little off topic, but you said, you know, some of the books that you uh, remember reading when you were uh, growing up that they're banning, is there... Are there any specific books you could touch on that, like you connected with when you first read them, that they're trying to ban now? Or what are some of the stuff? What's some of the stuff they're trying to ban? I know I've seen some of it, but um, actually, I never could really connect with any of these books because books we were taught in like our high school were written by all like white male mm-hmm. uh, authors from like you know like decades ago that like an immigrant from India cannot connect with at all. Right. But I understood. 
as there were discussions around those books in the classrooms that were so heated or, you know, oh, we can't, you know, this book is banned or this and that. So I always kind of like, you know, in high school, I read what I had to read, but I never really um, found affinity with any of those books that are being banned. I know it's important in a lot of uh, contexts, like it talks about race and this and mm. that, like, but it didn't really, I didn't connect you, with it. You didn't, actually, you didn't find anything that was really... Yeah, like, like, let's say Huckleberry Finn is being uh, banned in Florida. Right. I honestly, like, I have, you know, I never really, like, I may have read it for a for a quiz in school. And, you know, I was a smart student, so I got it. But, like, actually don't, I didn't really understand um, a lot of, like, you know, what it's talking about. But I actually paid a lot of attention in my U.S. history class. Mm. And I took AP U.S. history. Right. That's where I was seeing, like, the textbooks are also missing it. It's not just, it's not just fiction. It's also, like, nonfiction is actually just fiction, too. Mm. So there was so much context missing from history books. And that's where I would get into the most arguments with my teachers. Like, just imagine an Indian girl with, like, this heavy Indian accent. And, like... I don't even know all the norms in this country. Then right. I'm sitting there and telling them, okay, you're saying this, but like, are you mis- missing context about this? And like, everybody in my school just hated me. They're like, <laughs> that like anti-American, why don't you go back to where you come from? Because I was mm. big, like, the Iraq war was starting around that time too. And I was just like, you stupid Americans don't realize there's no weapons of mass destruction. The whole world knows it. Right. But you guys are lying. You guys just don't know it. So I used to get into these arguments. And like years later, <laughs> I just want to talk to those teachers and say, so was I right or was I right? <laughs> right. And I, you know, I got involved at the height of the anti-war movement what existed of it in the united states which you know wasn't Uh wasn't a ton and then you know obama basically put all that to rest um when he came into power but you know so i've always had a really you know come from an anti-war i was i was born in the uk so i you know i immigrated to this country too i was very small but definitely didn't really fit in in a lot of ways um Mm -hmm. but you know it's it's um um you know a new experience um, yeah. you know, coming here, How were you? I was four and a half when I came here, I actually lived in New Zealand for a while when I was smaller. So I got to hit all the empires, um, <laughs> all the genocidal empires. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I, uh, my, um, my grandmother was actually born in India. I think it's part of Afghanistan okay. now because of, you know, the uh-huh. British empire. Um, so, okay. uh, Interesting. yeah, it's. It's hard to it's hard to go to a new country and and there's so much stuff that you know that other people it's like you know like how do you not know this stuff um, you know for example yeah. the anti war the anti war positions that war is not something that we should be like uh, moving towards if there's like yeah. literally any other option uh, that war is bad <laughs> like that seems like a pretty basic um, yeah starting uh, off point bar, yeah like baseline for me but yeah just to yeah. see how much uh, the American public, both the yeah. left and right, or what consider themselves to be the left and right in the United States, buy into the ideas yeah. of war. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Is that and, is that your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Like, <laughs> like if we want I, I would also like to point out, there's so many times where people are talking about some, like, musician, like, I don't know, Billy Joel or Frank Ocean, I don't know, whoever. Okay. I don't know who these people are and I don't care. I mean, I care in the sense that I'm sometimes 
left out of conversations or I don't know, like, uh, you know, somebody makes a joke, like, oh, like a reference and I'm supposed to pick it up and like get it. But like, it, so it, it does make me feel a little bit alienated sometimes from American society. But that kind of changed um, when I uh, actually, when like Bernie started running for president. And then all of a sudden I was having conversations about ideas with people who had this, had similar ideas and I felt the sense of belonging for the first time in my life because I actually didn't even feel like I fit in in India completely because, you know, I, I, I went to a private Catholic school. My parents were lower middle class. They put all their money into our education and would send us to a school where, you know, I was on the debate team. Like we would speak in English and uh, um, I was pretty like I was I was one of the best students um, in my class. And so and and I had these ideas and I told these nuns that I went to you know, who ran the school that like, I'm an atheist because, and they actually gave me these um, therapy sessions mm. <laughs> saying, what's going on in your personal life? Are people fighting at home? Like, mm. why are you the way you are? I'm like, I just can't stand injustice. Like, is that a hard concept to understand for people around me? So I just felt like I was off. Like, there's something different about me. I always trying to do like Robin Hood shit, you know, pulling <laughs> the rich the rich kids and like you know telling them now this kid you made fun of and bullied she's going to be your best friend i better not see you see you um you know uh, harass her anymore things like that right, <laughs> I would right. be, I would, so i would do those things i was always in trouble but i felt like i was like right and not until i actually like bernie started running for president and then he pointed out some things that it all clicked for me and it really made me like this whole person and validated my existence so I, you know, a lot of people like, you know, think of him as like this person who's, you know, fallible and does this right or this wrong. But for me, it was just like his presence was like godsend because now I'm doing whatever I'm doing. It's because I don't know, I felt validated by mm -hmm. uh, somebody else speaking truth to power. And it allowed me to want to do that, too. And I actually want to continue and spend my entire life doing exactly that. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I, uh, that's, that's amazing. I mean, I You're think a lot, I am, I'm trying my best. I think, you know, a lot of people don't understand, like appreciate, especially people that have been organizing for some time, like how important Bernie Sanders role has been, uh, yep. in creating movements and especially like within the labor movement and stuff. Um, yep. so I think that's important to highlight, uh, you know, a thing, you know, I think you mentioned it briefly, but you know, looking at Ukraine, uh, which mm -hmm. is another thing that a lot of folks on the left uh, are very um, vocal about. But we saw um, Tedros Ghebreyesus, head of the World Health Organization, the other day I was looking at, I think on Democracy Now!, said the global uh -huh. community was sleepwalking into nuclear war uh, in yep. Ukraine. And he said that the Tigray region in Ethiopia is much worse. And I looked at the numbers of death, yep. dying, malnutrition, yep. for example, and its magnitude's worse than Ukraine. Um, yep. But whenever activists bring that stuff up, whether it be Palestine or Tigray mm -hmm. or Afghanistan, where there's 90% of households don't have enough food to eat right now as a direct result of U.S. intervention, we get accused yep. of whataboutism, right? Yep. I don't know. Have you had this experience? And what do you think of that word whataboutism? And what's your response to those people? Oh, my gosh. Um, I have goosebumps right now because, like, you know, after a long time, like, you know, I'm in like Minnesota, it's hard to find people who feel the same way and who think the same way. So I'm glad I'm having this conversation with right. you. But 100%, like they're like, but like, let's even put context to this like Russia-Ukraine thing. Right. 
it's not like Russia is just like, we're gonna do this. You know, we're gonna go into that country and bomb the fuck out of them and this and that. Of course, like every country is shitty in its own way and they have their issues. Like, you know, I remember growing up when Putin was actually exterminating uh, the Chechnyans, like the Chechen people and mistreating them. And I, I would, you know, I grew up kind of like learning about it because India and Russia actually had a closer relationship. Mm. Um, and, you know, like the whole Cold War thing, we have always been like this natural allies in the in Asia. And um, so like what's happening now, I can see it from this like perspective where it's not rooted in like this American exceptionalism, which is to think that, oh, Putin is like bad because we have this Trump derangement syndrome and our morality is defined around the, the, the things that happen around Trump. There was a world before Trump and there's going to be a world after Trump, which liberals, Democrats just don't seem to understand. These right. things went way beyond what we're actually seeing. And like, I'm not saying one party is complete, like, you know, one uh, party in this conflict is completely right or wrong. But like, if Ukraine was a US ally, we weren't doing much to build their economy. We were just building an army of white supremacists there and fun and putting weapons in their hands. So this, in preparation for this inevitable conflict that the US always, uh, it goes about it in this like way where, you're surrounding a like you know a, a, an adversary right. on the world scale. So when you're doing that, you don't think they're going to eventually hit back. And you know what's completely out of the news stories in the West is, and this is all NATO countries. It's 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 France. It's all of them. Like you know, and people don't even realize in America that like the French kind of instigated and led this whole thing against Gaddafi, who is a hero to those African people, but in America, if you mention Gaddafi, he's a bad guy. Mm. He was sodomized, he was killed in a brutal manner, and his country was doing, actually had the best standard of living in Africa, and he was trying to uplift all Africans and bring them together. And so we have instigated this situation, and I don't know what, you know, I, we don't get access to that much, like, Russian media, and I don't know how much to trust it and all that Not stuff. Not to mention they've shut it They shut it down. They shut Russia Today and yes. the U.S. down, yes. which had some of the most um, uh, varied and diverse group of yeah. uh, journalists uh, of any uh, journalistic uh, outfit. They said, I think, um, you know, some of the journalists said there was only one time. I actually can't remember what it was. There was one time where they were directed on what to say in their journalism um Uh and it was one it was one thing they were supposed to like say it one way it was like one phrase or something that was the only time they said that they'd ever been told by the news agency what to do or say was that one time that one scenario um which i'm sure is a lot less than a lot of american news outlets that run their run their copy directly by the cia for example you know or the pentagon in some cases or (laughs) movie scripts run by the run past the pentagon (laughs) to make sure they're patriotic enough etc exactly Um, so yeah, and this, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, like this, like uh, this is relevant because this movie I just saw, like Top Gun, you know, oh. surpassed like Infinity War and all this stuff, and like how much um, um, revenue it brought in. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, like people don't even realize, well-meaning, good American people who whose hearts are in the right place don't even realize how in deep down in their subconscious 
that creates a narrative that plants mm-hmm. a seed if it wasn't already there but it definitely affects them and like decades and decades and decades of that propaganda like seeps in to right. your dna where you on a fundamental level believe that like 9/11 was the most horrific tragedy to have taken place in the united states right uh, in where like forgetting things like flint you know that like forgetting so many things that were systematic Uh, American like, exceptionalism it, like you yeah. were saying only it's white male american exceptionalism yeah. something like that right oh it sucks <laughs> it does it's you know uh, i don't know like kind of you know trying to look for that we talked about bernie sanders trying to look for the positive let's say you know you and i are both involved in a labor movement um yeah. do you think that you know it seems there's definitely an era of like new labor organizing do you think yeah. that that labor organizing can play a key role in challenging western imperialism and global dominance by the united states in some way and how can we help that process along i don't think so because okay. i'm currently in in the midst of it and like just talking to you know before when i was involved with bernie i would be a lot online and i would like you know put people who thought the same thing together right. and like work with each other on how we can do this and that like it was people who were already involved just mobilizing them to take that next step but now it's like literally people who who just it's not political for them it is about their their you know workplace democracy and the issues mm. and i try to i try my best when i am talking to a nurse to connect their struggle to the larger struggle in the world or even like another worker who doesn't make as much as them in the same healthcare system it's proven to be difficult and i'm maybe one of like a few uh, organizers who has this perspective so i try to do my best but it's still so difficult and like i met with so many of these barriers that people already have like you know this propaganda that has seeped into them right. i'm glad that the younger people although the older nurses sometimes they like the younger people are not involved but the thing that i have noticed that younger people at least have not been um brainwashed against mm-hmm. unions or against certain ideas so i can push their envelope a little bit by developing relationships but i think it's oh my gosh like america as a country is so behind we lost Roe v. Wade and like mm. barely made a blip. Like I thought, like there'd be old ladies throwing Molotov cocktails, and none of that happened. Right. So if that is allowed to happen in this country, which affects like fifty percent of the population of this country, and like nothing happens, mm. and to, to to get American people to care about like some people that they have been taught that are savages or are you know life is cheap over there or like their lives don't matter right. it's not the main character <laughs> when all these like I, right. i just don't know how americans can like americans don't even fight for their own rights mm-hmm. so i just don't see how i mean i'm being pessimistic sure but like i just don't see how i can make that connection and that make people care no i i I agree with you it can be very difficult and you know and those and those pushes might not come from nurses um yeah. you know I think I'm excited definitely about you know newer workers I think there's a yeah. more diverse group of newer workers younger yeah. workers a lot of uh female workers mm-hmm. with Starbucks Amazon and all these mm-hmm. other people that are getting unionized and I think 
you know, and a lot and a huge group of immigrants too that I think you know uh, uh, have experiences that relate more uh, closely to you know the public at large, right? The the yeah. Americans, you know, not the Americans you see on TV, but America as it is, which <laughs> is a diverse group, lots yeah. of immigrants, you know, et cetera. This is you know women, yeah. young people, yep. you know, this is not 80 year olds like we have in the most of the legislator and stuff, even Bernie Sanders, yep. you know, there's a, yep. there's a lot of 80 you know, year olds. They're not even boomers. There's a silent generation. <laughs> I know there's a lot of 80 year olds making mind. decisions for, for, you know, yep. teenagers and kids and yep. what books yep. they can, you know, read and stuff. It's crazy. So, um, yep. you know, so that's what gives me some hope is the, the, the new for group sure. of people that are coming up. And again, I, yeah, I don't think they have those preconceived notions. They didn't grow up in the area of like, fearing the Soviet Reagan. Union and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm hopeful, but I, I agree with you. It's easy to become pretty pessimistic these days, you know, the climate uh, situation, etc. cetera. Um, yeah, like there's there's certain things, like for example, I live in the US, you know, my, my dad immigrated here. He wanted to live the American dream. He's living the American dream. Right. But then he didn't realize that like those same concepts are not like appealing to me and I'm not somebody who runs after money or, you know, all that stuff. So he, he has a basic misunderstanding of like my motivations in life. Like he just doesn't get it. But like I did after the whole Bernie thing, when I thought, yes, we can change the world. So when I see politics, when I see society, I don't limit it at American borders, you know, for me, it's the entire globe. So, um, you know, but like in my vicinity, I realized I've, had a complete mental breakdown in 2020 and I lost just all the hope. I'm sure it like, you know, this is relatable for a lot of leftists. Yep. And then I realized, okay, I, I, I have no hope for the betterment of this world. Like, I don't know what could cause that sweeping change anymore. Like, I just don't see that happening in my lifetime hmm. uh, after this opportunity has been taken away from us. What's the next step? Like, cause you do have to survive. And I just couldn't imagine myself working in like a corporate world or, you know, doing something just like paper pushing. So I was like, okay, in America at least, the change that I can see happening is labor because during the height of COVID, like nurses were on the front lines and teachers were, you know, like, we're like, we're not paid enough to fucking die. Right. So can I curse on this show? Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah so then I was like okay I started applying to all the jobs you know like nurses or teachers and like here I am so in that sense in America there is positive movement when it comes to labor for sure but we're still under 20% of American population has a union so we have a lot long way to go but because I see the world as like this global entity and it's not just about America like when I see that then that's when I truly start to lose hope because because things, especially under Democrats, things happen more efficiently to the detriment of the global South. Mm. So, you know, Trump actually appreciated him in the sense that, like, he exposed, you know, like, he took the hood off and said, like, you know, like, he, right. he made it very clear who he is and what a lot of these people who are supposed to be representing American people are actually white supremacists and dumb ones at that. And, um, you know, so was Trump. But then he exposed the reality of um, how our government works. So I think Democrats just kind of put a very respectable cover on it, sweep it under the rug. But things actually work 
smoother in terms of, you know, the extraction of resources, mm. the expansion of the of, of the American imperialist system under Democrats, because, you know, Hillary Clinton has had like her 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 pause in all of these uh, CIA ops. And, you know, she was what um, secretary of state and her role wasn't a positive one. Like nobody really talks about these things and they're seen as like, oh, you're just you're just, um, you know, anti-American or a conspiracy theorist mm. and things like that. When you bring up something like, you know, what, you know, the Clinton Foundation did in Haiti. And if, you right. know, and like, you know, they, they started this whole campaign against Bernie Sanders in the middle of in the middle of the election, talking about, um, you know, him praising the Cuban education system. Right. Well, what did he say that's wrong? Mm-hmm. And there's just so many of these kind of little things that that are frustrating and it's it's really hard to feel hope for like our planet and humanity right yeah you know i think what i'm you know what i'm doing i'm doing this podcast it's a you know obviously it's a podcast and i hope people i hope people listen to it but also it's a way just to get down some of this information and have some of these conversations and and get some of this like recorded because you know we've been watching I've been watching this like documentary on the history of China. You know, it's one it has mm-hmm. one of the longest continuously like written histories and stuff in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, even when you go way back, even you go back through wars and famines and destruction and everything, and you go mm-hmm. back, and the things that you find are just these like little pieces of information, you know. And mm-hmm. so, if you can actually like get some of the information down, even though I think we know that there's very bad things in the near future. Uh, or uh, yeah. high potential for 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 very bad things, uh, uh, even beyond what we're already seeing, which is uh, yeah. a climate in crisis, uh, you know, famine, drought, yep. uh, floods on top of droughts, uh, even places mm-hmm. that are still in drought but they're also flooded, which is um, mm-hmm. just just unbelievable. Um, you know, in, in you know after that. Uh, you know, if, if, if we can come through this in some way, which is going to be very, uh, difficult on the climate level, then we're going to want to have information and have recorded some of the stuff that's going on and how we're thinking, because it is amazing, you know, I guess how successful, and you look at different generations, how successful Mm -hmm. some groups have been at erasing history, um, like, you know, indigenous histories and other histories across the globe, um, when they're able to get into power. So, you know, having all this information and sharing this information and also on a global scale and talking to people across the globe or with different backgrounds is, you know, is crucial to building a world sometime in the future that we want to see if that's possible. A hundred percent. And, you know, let's, so like when we're talking about sharing of that information and sharing of that history, um, let's talk about like how censorship works too. And it's not just like censorship or maybe there's supposed to be an updated uh, version of this word to express the concept, but like there is this complete deletion or attack. Like for example, when Trump was, uh, his Twitter was deleted. um, I knew that once this precedent is set and there's a buy-in even from the left in this um, concept of, you know, just like banning somebody for life from a uh, platform. I knew inevitably it's gonna that hammer is gonna come down hard on the left, and um, 
they make an example out of a right winger, but then they, you know, use those same things to suppress like um, leftist opinions. And then I have actually seen when this whole like Russia Ukraine thing was going on, and people from the global south or there were leftists in the west, you know, like having these discussions, it was constantly accounts were being taken down without any reason given. And these are subtle things. Yeah, I had one of my accounts happen. taken down. To be, uh, are you serious? Yeah. So. Fuck, yes. And like, you know, there were accounts like 15,000, 20,000 people who were, you know, a, a community of people who believe in the similar things. And like suddenly accounts down. Then the person's creating second or third account, you know, but using different IP addresses, whatever the hell. But like just having to constantly be shut down like that, it, it, like it's like it's like there's there, like nobody really cares because, mm-hmm. you know, we always see the examples being made out of the right wingers. So but we don't really realize how it can be applicable when the time comes when we have something to say that's out of the norm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. So. I think you can, yeah, this stuff, studying history to see how COINTELPRO and other things have been used to shut down uh, Mm -hmm. leftist movements, I think is important. You know, you didn't have books uh, uh, from when you were growing up, but um, I think you were saying people should read something. I was seeing a post from you. Are there books right now or books you've read recently that you would recommend folks check out? Um. I Jakarta Method. Okay. I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's called. Yeah. It came out recently. I guess a couple years ago is pretty recent. Um. Hold on one second. Let me yeah. read the other ones. And there's this author called Vijay Prakash, and he writes from that Marxist global perspective as well. And his book is called Washington Bullets. Okay. Um, so Vijay Prakash has a few books, I would say, like, you know, start from the start and like, you know, like read all the way through. He's uh, the dark, the darker world, something like that. But yeah, it's a Vijay Prakash uh, book. Also, I would just like to plug in a couple other things. Um, my friend, Nick Estes, he runs a Red Nation podcast. Um, he actually, uh, you know, recommends some books to me. And there's this podcast called the blowback blowback show and it does mm. it does a series of you know covers different topics so these are all good resources but also in the twin cities i am considering because you know naturally i am this organizer person who like wants to bring everybody together and like uh have conversations about things and i used to do that during the bernie thing by doing by throwing parties nice. having open bars so all the leftists can have fun <laughs> right. um yeah <laughs> and um but now i'm considering maybe finding a space and start doing um i don't know maybe monthly uh, viewing of a documentary um you know just showing like how what the u.s did to vietnam and that my Lai massacre was not in just one village it happened in hundreds of villages in vietnam so it wasn't just 500 people killed the u.s soldiers killed a lot more and raped a lot more women right. so like these kinds of things, like, I actually want, like, you know, like you're doing, like, I think needs to be done is educating people, opening their minds up to the world. Because directly, we have no power to do anything. We can't, we don't even have sometimes enough power to change our immediate life circumstances. So just like taking on, like, <laughs> an empire, like the U.S. is, you know, just, it's it's just like pie in the sky. But what we can do is find community and spread the message and talk about these things. So I'm kind of considering finding like a, like a, 
theater type of place or at somebody's house where they have enough space for maybe like 25, 30 people where we can do these viewings and then converse with each other and discuss ideas like once every month. If that's something you're interested in, we can work on that together. That is absolutely something I'm very much interested in. Uh, and we should work on that together and we can talk more about that, uh, offline a little bit too. Um, yeah, I really, uh, I really appreciate, uh, you talking with me. I think, you know, everybody's definitely, especially in the most recent couple of years, I don't think it's possible has to have not felt this as they felt some pessimism, uh, probably a lot of pessimism about the outlook for change. And so, like you Mm -hmm. said, kind of like reorienting ourselves to like community and to education yeah. and to like focusing on our, uh, you know, our close um, community contacts and, and building that up and building, mm-hmm. I think resi- something I've talked about before on here, resi- building resilience in our communities, mm-hmm. because we know that there's a lot of, um, you know, weather events coming for sure. And there's uh, other things already obviously happening across the globe. Um, so the more you can rely on your communities, you know, immediately in your area for things, you don't have to rely on supply, you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. national and global supply chains as much. So I think, you know, and building education opportunities, right? Yep. And I want to quote Fidel Castro here. Do it. He said, um, his autobiography is 26 hours long, but if somebody has the time, uh, wants to delve into it, I highly recommend. He said, we can't organize a new world solely out of hatred. It has to be through love of humanity and its possibilities. And um, yeah, and I think it's totally true. We're fighting propaganda and we're not fighting immutable beliefs held by common people. And Fidel Castro calls this the battle of ideas. So ultimately engaging in a battle of ideas instead of, because sometimes I let the hate get to me, um, just seeing the world in shambles and knowing who are responsible. And it just, it fills me up with his hatred. So sometimes like I look to, you know, revolutionaries, to, to kind of guide me and like, how should I, how do I change the world? So right. I think you're exactly right. Like just, you know, um, spending time in our community and, and, you know, exchanging these ideas. Well, I really appreciate you talking with me and thank you. Thank you for your time. Have thank a good you day. so much. You too. Bye, Nick. Bye. And that's our special interview. As always, Check the show notes because we do have links to all those books and uh, other media that were mentioned. And just a reminder, Union Nurses with Minnesota Nurses Association in the Twin Cities and Twin Ports are set to go on a historic three-day strike uh, starting this coming Monday, September 12th, going on strike 12th, 13th, and 14th. Thanks again for listening. Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.